So welcome to another episode of What We're Listening To. Uh, we are breaking up the schedule to have a fantastic uh, visitor on the show. Um, Andrew Tasselmeyer has agreed to come on and have a chat about his creation process and his music and, and other uh, music that he's made throughout his life. Um, welcome, Andrew Tasselmeyer. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Um, before you begin, I just wanted to say um, congrats on your new release. And, Thank you. you know, you've been doing a lot of great work uh, this year. Um, I Now, I keep forgetting the name of your new album. Um, yeah, it's it was, called uh, Life Came Breaking In. Yes. Now, it said on the, li- the liner notes that it's kind of um, the titles were created by something. <laughs> yeah, so there's a... Um, uh, I forget who I have to thank for discovering this. I I saw a friend of mine using the software once, but it's called um, Liar. I I can't okay. I can't even pronounce. So I'm not going to try to say the the mm-hmm. company name. I'll have oh, to send yeah, you the, yeah, yeah. the link afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I your guess is as good as mine there. But um, <laughs> it's a it's a super fascinating um, kind of AI based program. But it you can feed it either audio uh, and have it mangle that uh, completely mm-hmm. like indeterminate parameters. You have zero control over what it's going to spit out and none of the controls <laughs> even make sense. So, <laughs> but there's a, <laughs> another text side of it too, where uh, it'll present you with a, a generated story uh, and then you can click buttons and, and move uh, parameters around to reshuffle the words and come up with new words. And so, uh, it's every everything you see there is entirely um, you know up to the whims of that of that uh, software. <laughs> I had Very nothing to do with any of it. <laughs> so you fed it the song and you got it to generate what it thought the title should be. I I all I did was literally press a button and it created okay. a, a story on its own, and then mm-hmm. I just kept reshuffling the order and and words within it, mm. and it just happened upon these phrases uh, that I thought sounded decent <laughs> so I went with it it's very cool no 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 <laughs> yeah. I like that and I I want I want to delve into um I suppose the big picture of your music in this and I I thought I should just explain to maybe you and to the listeners about um how I got to know your music and yep. and just a little bit about that but so I think I've relayed to you that I had two beginnings with your music, one in 2018 when um, I found your Tynes release on Flag Day Recordings and was really uh, kind of attracted to the textures that you use and and really enjoyed that. And then um, our mutual connection, Billy Pizzaro, was like, oh, Andrew's in this band uh, Hotel Neon. I went, oh. I have the self-titled of Hotel Neon from back in 2015 when I found it. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then just recently, maybe over the past year and a bit, I've noticed on your socials, you are posting more kind of workflow videos and um, like with your Octatrack and that sort of thing. And um, I mentioned this on our previous episode, you'd released this 40 minute breakdown of your workflow, which we can talk about a little yep. bit more. But you said like over the pandemic period, you kind of um, uh, learnt Ableton uh, and kind of, so 
Um, yep. I'm gathering that that was like a new kind of structure and workflow. And yep. y- yeah, so you've been kind of putting out um, these these videos. And so I thought I would love to kind of pick your brain on your music and just kind of, um, yeah, how you make music. And I like that you've been so transparent and, it, and that video has been really, really helpful to me to kind of look at the way things work because there is so much going on in your music and it was really really helpful to see it broken down into its parts right uh to understand so yeah yeah well what you just said there is exactly uh why i did it uh to be honest so um yeah we can dive into that uh however you'd like would love to chat about it i wanted to start a little bit at the beginning because um you were also in a band called sound of rescue right and um, you have done a lot of music with your brothers, which is really lovely. How did you get into like making music? Like what was, what was the first thing and, and styles and all that sort of thing? Yeah. So we had to go way back in time. I think the first, uh, musical, I guess, experience was in elementary school, um, mm-hmm. in the fifth grade here where I grew up, I grew up outside of uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and yeah. so part of the curriculum, uh, just a normal course of flow in the f- fourth grade, um, uh, they, sorry, my dog is <laughs> running around the room here. So All good. All good. I have to corral her real quick. Um, yeah, but in any event, the, um, so in the fourth grade, uh, the, there's a, a music introduction class where you get to sit down and try out woodwinds, brass, uh, mm-hmm. orchestral instruments, violin, that kind of thing. And they kind of funnel you into whichever one of them you take to the most um, and want mm-hmm. to pursue. So I ended up uh, choosing uh, trombone through that experience. And then in the fifth grade oh, cool. through middle school, uh, got pretty decently good at it um, to be honest I hmm. uh, did a lot of like honor bands after school and and jazz band and stuff like that and so um you know I was living in the bass cleft that whole time and once yeah. I got older high school age and I think we all have you know our own kind of origin stories with how we're exposed to new music at that time uh mm-hmm. I got real deep into like punk rock and um classic rock just through hearing what my parents were listening to stuff like the police and the who and i think yeah for whatever reason i have always been kind of a contrarian so i just didn't want to go down like the typical electric guitar route that i saw everybody else doing all of my friends um i wanted mm-hmm. to do something a little bit different and i already had experience with bass focused instruments through the trombone and whatnot um so i decided to pick up the bass guitar and that was in I think like seventh or eighth grade, I guess it would have been at that point. Um, you know, mm. just got a cheap Ibanez bass guitar for Christmas one year and started pursuing that more seriously, uh, listening mm. to bands and learning how to play their songs and all that. Um, and then in high school, uh, ninth grade, here I met um, a couple of friends of mine and we started up a band together. It was uh, sort of like a I'm not really sure how to describe it, but it was more like a like a jazz funk jam band kind of combination. Nice. Hard to describe, yeah. but oh, that was such a, a formative 
kind of experience for me getting to play music with those guys they were all um so incredibly talented and you know i was just doing everything i could just to you know stay afloat in that band they were play, <laughs> playing circles around me and it was just such a hugely beneficial experience for me to be a part of um you know all the guys in there were crazy good like i said one of them is mm. playing professionally now touring with like macklemore and um right you know wow done gigs with macy gray and uh he does all these incredible um pop gigs now at this point um He's just that good. And then a couple of the other guys are playing also in Nashville and, and um, you know, teaching and all that. So learned mm. a, a huge amount just being around that caliber of talent. And that was just in high school. So, yeah, uh, you know, great. we all went our separate ways after that, um, went off to college. Uh, and then that kind of grew into a love um, of kind of... I don't know what the right word is, but um, under the radar uh, music even more, um, moving away from like classic rock and more well-known uh, kind of bands like that. Just being on a campus, you get exposed to all kinds of new music. And I actually started working at a, a venue in D.C. called the 930 Club. Uh, it's a great, great venue. A lot of great uh, music comes through there and got to see a lot of new music. And ultimately, I guess... To take us to the present day, I, mm. I had a class um, in uh, towards the end of college, but it was a, a music history class that I just took on a whim, just because I needed to fill some extra credits to get my degree. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it ended up being um, one of the best classes I took in my entire four years at the University of Maryland. It was focused entirely on kind of the 1920s to present, um, yep. uh, modern classical and electronic and kind of like alternative uh, music. And so mm -hmm. I got exposed to the typical, you know, Brian Eno, discrete music, ambient music uh, through that mm -hmm. class and that... Minimalism and stuff. Exactly. Yep. John mm -hmm. Cage and all these new ways of thinking that for me at the time was just totally... Uh, you know, revelatory. So that mm. threw me down the, uh, the ambient experimental, um, uh, path pretty quickly after that. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. And so was your first kind of bigger project sound of rescue after that? Correct. Yep. So right yep. around that same time after, you know, taking that class and being exposed to, um, that, that whole new uh, world of music that that was when my twin brother Mike and I we were living um, together uh, in an apartment off campus and so just kind of in our spare time uh, late nights um, we would just hash out these really terrible <laughs> uh, ideas and you know record these uh, you know really uh, droney ambient kind of sketches and that, mm. that started up the Sound of Rescue. It was initially just um, Mike and I kind of hashing out ideas together in that sense. And eventually it grew to include when we wanted to play live, we, you know, had a couple opportunities to play with friends and stuff at local shows and whatnot. So we mm. decided to rope in our younger brother, Stephen, uh, and mm. he was playing drums for us for uh, for many years uh, as part of that project. But you're correct. Sound of Rescue was first. And it wasn't mm. until uh, later on that Hotel Neon kind of entered the picture as a 
as a non-drum uh, project. Yeah, because it, it was interesting for me going backwards because I've I come from, you know, your music, which is is probably a little bit of a mix of the two with at least more recently with your percussive elements. Yeah. Um, Sound of Rescue feels very much more post-rock. And um, and so did you feel, did you have like, were there other bands influencing you as well? Like were you listening to like, I don't know, Explosions in the Sky or Godspeed You or something like this? Is, yep. is that or, or you just felt like it was a natural progression from we've got these drones and guitar sounds, like let's kind of turn these into something with rhythm and stuff. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So you hit on a couple of them there too. So we right. uh, we, we saw, you know, um, This Will Destroy You, um, yep, Godspeed yep. You, uh, uh, Sigaros, those kinds of guys. I, I yeah, think yeah, probably yeah. The, the most formative and most... Um, uh, kind of direct correlation to what we were doing at the time was Hammock. Uh, they're a band out of Nashville for, yeah. Cool. Y- yeah. Um, for those who don't know, they're kind of like a, a guitar duo. Um, and around that time, and that, I guess that was like 2000, uh, 2008, 2009 or so when this all started and they had just put out, mm. um, it was fairly soon after their debut album, um, but then uh, maybe they will sing for us tomorrow. That album in particular um, was hugely influential to us. So we that's great loved like the guitar focused ambience that they did, and in some mm. of that early work too, there is uh, the use of drums and percussion and and all that. So I think if you were to point to like one band that kind of defined what we were you know, trying to do <laughs> with mm. that early sound of the Re- sound of rescue stuff was probably hammock uh, with the way that they blended those kind of like big open uh, drum sounds with really um, you know thick and washy guitar parts. Uh, th- that's probably yeah. the closest parallel and biggest influence on what we were doing at the time. Very cool. Um, yep. I'm I'm going to put together a playlist of tracks I've been listening to from your body of work. But mm. please send me things like that because I would love to put in other influences and I'd like to hear that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. would love to. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to me. So this will destroy you a big um, part of my musical journey too. Yeah. Um, I didn't hear them until 2012. So I was actually mm-hmm. a little bit late to hearing kind of ambient experimental music and that there um i picked up tunnel blanket um, yeah yep and kind of that's obviously their most probably their least their most melodyless album mm-hmm. um and that kind of led me into like holodeck which is a yeah. record label from austin and then i was like kind of delving into sound collage with Smokey Emery and some others. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until then that I started really listening to these ambient um, artists, even though I had done a similar, um, you know, course of music history, looking at Steve Reich and yeah. you know yep. Philip Glass and all that sort of thing. It was not something that I was listening to modern composers of, um, but once I kind of got into post-rock, I was like, oh, and a friend introduced me to Sigaros and I was just gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen yeah, them I, I know and the This Will Destroy You a few times <laughs> and Godspeed You. So like, yeah, it's just amazing music because it combines like kind of orchestral-like grandiosity right. with rock instruments. 
It's right. just um, gorgeous. So you were doing Sound of Rescue, and I've listened to um, your um, oh, I'm Aperture, is it? Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's right. Great. I listened to a bit of Aperture, and I really love that. It, it did have that sound of like, I don't know if you know Sleep's Make, Sleep Makes Waves. Yeah, I Aussie do. band. Yep, yeah. yep. So um, they opened for This Will Just... Oh, no, <laughs> ironically... This will destroy you open for sleep makes waves when I came here. Uh, okay. I would have considered yeah. this will destroy you to be the bigger one, but not here, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> that's that's a great show. That's a good lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I didn't get to go to that one. I went to another one which they were just doing their whole set by mm. themselves. Yep. My friend uh, went to the Sleep Makes Waves one. And I yeah, I dig that sound. I think I like it grittier. I like the this will destroy you's yeah. kind of tape saturated sort of sound sometimes yeah right there with leading it. more towards god speed you and stuff um uh, so i wanted to talk about then hotel neon so if you and michael were doing this with sound of rescue did you just decide actually we want to do more ambient stuff like yeah yeah it, it, that, that yeah. was basically it so yeah we some of the early, I mean, the earliest Sound of Rescue stuff, I don't even think it's on the internet anymore. I, I think I might have obliterated that, <laughs> that from, right, right, right. from existence, um, partly out of embarrassment, but uh, also, too, because I, I don't think it was, like, necessarily very indicative of um, what we wanted that to be. Uh, you know, I, I think we we wanted um, we wanted to pursue that more this will destroy you kind of loud mm. post-rock kind of a thing so some of the earliest yeah. stuff that we did with the project was very ambient it was very um uh i don't know what the right word is like uh, it just extremely washy and and slow and and glacial kind of droning yeah. stuff um and we've always like had an affinity for that like the the textural um ambient guitar stuff has always been you know a, a very deep love uh, for us so yeah I, hotel neon was kind of the product of just being at that point like we were between um we were between albums with sound of rescue we had like just finished recording um an album called forms uh and then mm. there you know we, we were kind of just thinking around what, what do we you know what do we do now what do we do next um and it was, I think, right around that time, uh, too, when the Sandy Hook shootings had taken place here in the U.S., um, a right. horribly tragic event um, that actually mm. took place on my birthday in 2012, um, our birthday, oh, uh, since Mike and I are twins. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that was like December 14th, 2012 was actually the day that that project started. Um, I, I was living in Wilmington, Delaware at the time, and uh, just kind of in a moment of spontaneity and reacting to the news that day, uh, you know, picked up my bass six and uh, hashed out, like, you know, just the, the three chord swelling parts that make up that first song, A Lament. Um, and that's where the project started. We always knew that we wanted to kind of make a distinct break between some of that ambient sound of rescue stuff and kind of give that a new home for it to to rest in so mm -hmm. that it could be separate and distinct um yeah. and this ended up being you know the moment that we decided to do that was once a couple of songs were put together a friend of ours 
John um, offered to print that up on a cassette tape in Baltimore. And so then it was born. I think it was like July 30th or end of July 2013, something like that. No, you had it right, July 30th. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Still yeah. remember. <laughs> I've just got the Bandcamp page open here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, I think this this is the 10th year of existence for the project, but it came directly out of that desire to kind of create a new home for some of the more ambient focused stuff that wasn't really... Um, post-rock and indicative of what we were trying to do with Sound of Rescue. That that whole period of time is like a blur, so I, I'll probably have to like mm. fact check some of my uh, <laughs> uh, dates uh, there, but fine. <laughs> it all kind of floats around in that general period. Um, a lot was yeah. happening back then. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's um, thank you for sharing. It's, it's pretty intense that, you know, the events you're talking about. And, mm-hmm. and interestingly, you know, I remember hearing this album um, back in your summer of 2015 mm. and and the yeah I, it felt very cold the element yeah. even though I was hearing it in the middle of your summer it was just kind of like um, a lament was very haunting and mm-hmm. hearing kind of the background and influence so that makes a lot of sense to me and I did actually I do want to touch on kind of like big picture stuff with that too because yeah. I've mm-hmm. noticed that ambient and post-rock often have like big themes that resonate throughout the work yeah. and would you say so I saw someone posting on Twitter recently about Hotel Neon never having happy titles was that something <laughs> and yeah, yeah like my. I've got here tortured shapes and you know um, I mean that I think they're reading a little bit into it because <laughs> some of these just are a bit more neutral than others. But I can definitely yeah. see on this self-titled, you know, you've got the crushing weight and deprivation. Yeah. And, and like I'm not nearly as close-minded to think that every sad-sounding track is necessarily sad and that it's all <laughs> meant to be sad. But right. like right. is it more – was uh, this project very introspective? Was it meant to be kind of like conveying – these awful things Mm -hmm. and as a way of processing or something like that for you a hundred percent yeah so that first album definitely was i mean yeah that um that comment about all the uh, the the unrelenting sadness in the in the song titles that was uh yeah that that was my friend phil um who sent me that message on instagram uh just kind of making light of it but i mean yeah that absolutely that um it, that first album was very much intentionally uh, bleak. I mean, it, it, mm. that, yeah, I don't know. That um, that event and that period of my life, I think, definitely just uh, shook me up quite a bit um, and opened, mm. you know, opened my eyes to a lot of other things, um, politically, uh, spiritually, I don't know. Like, that That was kind of like a, a very formative point in my life um but mm. the, that album in particular was definitely born out of like just needing some way to uh express like just disgust with <laughs> the state of the world yeah. and, and and like put that into you know some kind of a tangible product like an album so um yeah I will say, you know, that that album was was very explicitly for that purpose. And that's why the, the titles mm. reflect that. 
I would say that since then, naming tracks and albums is always the most difficult part of the process. And I don't think there's any necessarily super deep thought put into a lot of it. Um, However, Mm -hmm. on that album, it definitely was uh, indicative of everything Mm -hmm. that was going on at the time. Yeah. And there doesn't always need to be a a very deep meaning. Right. But um, I just did notice that with this one. Like, for instance, I was also listening to Moments recently. Right. We were talking about yeah. that. And it looks like they're just dates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you guys got together and, uh, and wrote these at certain times and just exactly. listed them. Yeah. So that, that's like yep, case in cool. point. I, all of the songs start yep. that way. Like there's always, they're, they're, all, they're all born on our hard drives with just a dated wave file um and and that one just at that point that was like uh yeah we realized hey we have because that all that stuff was written at the same time that we were writing for another album that came out just a couple weeks later we realized wait we actually have enough material for for two projects here these are all much more mellow yeah exactly yep all this memory um we, we we knew we had a commitment um, to, to provide an album to Fluid Audio and we you know, kept mm-hmm. that going with all his memory but we also had all these other songs on the side um, and mm. didn't want to scrap them or anything and they actually kind of flowed pretty cohesively so it just like yeah, it just uh, worked very nice. conveniently to, to group them together into a separate album and just decided to kind of let them live as they were uh, and not go through the extra... Yep you know, hassle of trying to dictate a, a narrative direction or anything with more explicit titles. It just kind of felt like the right thing to do for what those songs were um, and how they were created. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, art as enjoyment, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just evidently the three of you love making music yeah. together yep. and love, you know, there almost doesn't need to be a, a meaning beyond that. Right. And I like that. That's very cool. Um, Yeah. So also, just before we leave self-titled, you're remastering, re-recording self-titled? Yes. Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. So we, it was initially recorded in July 2013, or or released, I should say, in July 2013, like we Mm. were talking about before. So it's now been 10 years uh, since that happened. Uh, When we first put it out, just slipped it into the void, uh, no label, anything, just put it on Bandcamp. And it ended up just through pure coincidence being discovered um, by Ian Hallgood, who runs the Home Normal label over in uh, the UK. At the time he was in Japan, but um, it's UK based now. Uh, But he put out a nice kind of remastered physical edition for us back in 2015. Um, But yeah, this is the, this is our, second go around with it so we've always thought to ourselves like what would what would this sound like you know now knowing what we know and it just being mm. so much you know uh better educated i guess about music production in general um it's always been like kind of a fun project so it was last year i think we initially came up with the idea hey it's been 10 years since this happened we're now a trio instead of a duo and a lot of things have mm. happened in that time so could be a fun opportunity to just put something new together so yeah we um have re-recorded all of the tracks uh just have to 
mix it and get it up to shape. Um, and then, yeah, hoping to put yeah. that out uh, later this year as kind of a 10 year anniversary memento. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yep. I, I look forward to that. Yeah, me I too. Mean, it, it is nice hearing the change in your sound and the kind of recording quality. Like there is something kind of quite nice about mm-hmm. this. Yep. But yeah, listening to your later stuff, you can obviously hear so much more depth in the sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that would be a cool thing to harness. Yeah. Um, also quickly, you mentioned your um, specific mark six or something this guitar or oh yes yeah. yep so that's the uh do you, bass six yep bass six can now i'm a bass player but uh and i think you've posted about this before what what is the bass yeah six? it's a wonderful instrument um so as a bass player myself it's kind of tailor-made for folks like us who uh I, I can play guitar, I can like hack my way through it, but it's definitely not my natural mm. um, instrument. Uh, but the what the bass six is, it's a guitar effectively tuned down an octave along a 30 inch scale. Oh, so yeah. it's the same size as a short scale bass, but it has six strings um, tuned just like a guitar, but an octave lower. Uh, so it kind of fills that yeah, cool. void between the two. Um, you can get very deep, low, bassy sounds that you can play bass tracks with it just fine if you wanted to uh, but it also gives you that mm. option to you know kind of form chords and uh, bring upper octave melodies into the equation um, it was originally in the 60s used to kind of layer uh, these like tic-tac bass parts on uh, more like country western kind of rockabilly sounds um, and at the time, that was kind of its main use case, but it really blew up in the 80s uh, with bands like The Cure and, um, you know, Joy Division right. using yeah. it in more of like a traditional kind of bass sense, uh, a melodic bass mm-hmm. type of an instrument. So it's a super fascinating thing. Very weird, very uh, niche, but uh, yeah, it's it's a great instrument. I... I um, I think it's blown up quite a bit in recent years because a lot of uh, more metal, heavier bands have started to use it instead of baritone guitars, and so they've been hard to come by. But uh, Squire makes a a very capable model that's worth exploring. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Or or they'll use seven or eight strings. Yeah. Like (laughs) the metal bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, No, that's very cool. And I I do play guitar as well, but I often like I've currently got a beaten up nylon string here tuned a whole tone mm, down yep. and my other guitar is often in dadgad yeah like i really enjoy the the depth yep. of that so yep. yeah yeah it's uh sorry if you hear something that's it's it's up. super fun i mean yeah it's got like a switching mechanism so you can it, and three pickups so you can um it's a lot right. sort of like a strat i guess um in the way you can select pickup orientations but yeah, it's very fun. Yes. Very yeah. fun. That's very cool. Um, before I kind of want to touch on your own music, um, you mentioned that Context, your Hotel Neon album, was one that kind of like picked up a lot yep. more than others. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Was there a reason for that? I don't know. This this the weird thing about releasing music. Yeah, it. I don't know why that one in particular seemed to get a lot more traction um 
we had put out, so we released the self-titled in 2013 on our own. It was completely randomly mm. discovered by Ian and he put it out on home normal as a remastered edition in 2015. And in 2015, we had just become a trio. So we met our friend, Steven Kemner, um, he joined the band uh, like right around that time. I think it was like late 2014, early 2015, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so then at that point we were recording new music and we gave it to Ian and he said, um, I'm booked out like for the foreseeable future here, but why don't you send it over to my friend Dan Crossley who runs the Fluid Audio label. And so we put out an EP yep. with him called Remnants uh, and loved what he did with it. Like the physical packaging is just a, a work of art. He spends so right. much time putting this together and makes everything look uh, just wonderful. Um, and so we said, yeah, okay, well, this was just an EP, but like it would be great to work with him again on a, a like a proper full length. And so um, that's... Is that Iceland in the? Photo it is, yeah. Way? Remnants is is Iceland. Yeah. So that. Um, and you guys have toured there. A few we times, I've right? only played there once. We played Reykjavik as the um, opening show on a uh, UK and Europe tour that we did with Marcus Fisher and Simon Scott back in 2019. Uh, would love to get back there again. Amazing. We talk about it all the time, but yeah, Iceland's yeah. a place very near and dear to our hearts. So that album was kind That's of a reflection cool. of that place the first time that we visited in 2015. Um, mm. Yeah. But then, uh, so Context was uh, the full-length album that we did with uh, Dan and Fluid Audio. And yeah, I don't know why that one just kind of took off a little bit more than normal. Um, it, it was picked mm. up by... Uh, back then, man, I've been talking about this a lot on um, social media and whatnot, I think. But, uh, just back then it felt like there was such a, a better, um, more open group of like small blogs and, um, press outlets, uh, reviewing this kind of music. Um, you know, I, mm. I, I think the options are just so much more limited today and that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But, it, it <laughs> yeah I do want to discuss that, yeah but yeah it it really it got picked up by a lot of those little outlets and I think just the the continuing momentum with more and more people spending time with it to sit down and write like a, a you know full-fledged review and not just like a quick little blurb about it um in a you know in a, in a sidebar kind of column um, it, I mm. think really did a lot for it and it just intro it introduced us to yeah. a lot of new listeners and I can really point to that album definitely as kind of a, a turning point for like the direction of um, where we were going uh, it, it definitely picked up mm. a lot of steam it's very beautiful I was listening to it throughout this week mm. Thank after you. chatting with you about yep. this one and um, yeah and you've also got a feature on here with um Takahiro. Yeah, yep. Uh, Taka, he's uh, he yeah. makes music as Hakabune. Um, he's based in uh, Japan, formerly Tokyo, but has moved mm. out. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, long been a, a big influence for us. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to have him lend a couple of guitar textures on there. That's great. I will definitely listen yeah. to that. And I mean, yeah, I it's interesting. I was sad when High Bias disappeared from yes. the band camps. Me like, too review list and so like it's kind of like 
yeah, maybe there's they're just not able to funnel the resources yeah. to have someone writing about the latest tape releases each month and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, it is sad, isn't it? But ironically, I remember watching Press Pause play back in 2012 oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Moby's saying how saturated, you know, the internet is with music yeah. at the moment. Or maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was the guy from Hot Chip. I can't remember. But um, I get that in some ways. I, uh, like, yeah, we can discuss this a little bit more later on, but like my Bandcamp wish list is so massive yeah. at the moment. But I do manage to get through it eventually. And I do, I do love that there's so much to listen to. Yeah. But, um, but it is hard when there's not people who are recommending bar, mm-hmm. like following you and other people I, I, I like enjoy the music mm-hmm. of, um, you know, to go, which one of these should I prioritize? Yeah, exactly. I, I, it's yeah. a, it's a very complicated and nuanced kind of discussion I think to be had because I don't, I, I really, really want to stress and don't want to come off as someone who's saying that you see this like hot take occasionally that there's too much music or, you know, or too mm-hmm. much stuff yeah, yeah. being made. And, and I don't think that's, a healthy way to, to look at it. I, I think it's always good if more people feel empowered to make music and be creative. And I, I don't think we should ever yeah. tell people to stop making music. And I think it's a very good thing if there is a lot of music. But I think what my frustration is, is what you just said earlier there about like the lack of funding for um, some of these smaller outlets, like, yeah, High Bias was a great column. Uh, Mark, um, mm. who ran that, I, I think he still does some occasional stuff for Bandcamp and their experimental um, column for the daily thing, but there's just so few opportunities for kind of a human generated music discovery system and music recommendations that doesn't involve having a label with enough clout or a label that's big enough to pitch, you know, the pitchforks and the, resident advisors of the world and like short of having either a very big label or paying for a publicist or a PR group to kind of get your name out there it's very difficult to find as many uh, blogs and small outlets and just very passionate people uh, out there uh, that seem to exist back in like that you know that early 2000s to 2012 period right when we were getting started, we really benefited from that kind of a system and infrastructure, but there just isn't that yeah. thing anymore. Um, it's very hard to get mm. noticed outside of just <laughs> releasing a stream of singles on Spotify, you know, praying you get placed on some mm. playlist that people are looking to. And there just doesn't seem to be much of a human driven element yeah. in uh, recommending music anymore. And the same thing applies for booking gigs. I mean, there used to be a very healthy ecosystem of kind of indie venues and, and DIY venues. And definitely here in Philly, it doesn't exist anymore. I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, it varies from city to city, but um, that kind of a... And you got the whole ticket market thing, <laughs> yeah, which is exactly, blown up. Exactly. And, and like if a, isn't there an official thing that's happening in the States? Yeah. Like some yeah, there's inquiry exactly there's been some congressional hearings on the topic and you know who the heck knows how far it's going to go or or what's going to be accomplished from it but i I think the definitely a 
big issue to me is is the lack of available opportunities for small to mid range you know local bands to a get a following and b get a gig it's like if you aren't connected with a a big label or have some kind of an in with a pr group or something like that it's just brutally difficult to get noticed in this environment so i don't know how we yeah. fix that i don't know how it's solved but maybe it comes with time mm. people realize you know what's happening here well like it's been really interesting the whole shift from twitter to people really laying heavily into their own websites yeah <laughs> um, i'm doing a the lot same of people, yeah, yeah a lot absolutely. of people left or just went, okay, sure, I can't trust this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go back to a website and, you know, go visit Bill Wirtz and check out his crazy piece of work there. Yes, you're <laughs> exactly, random you're exactly. I think that's kind of the future is like where things are going. All enough is mm. like back to that kind of just very independent, very self-starter kind of a mindset where like you're selling music on your website and there's no band camp cut yeah. and all that. Like, there's definitely benefit to a band camp and, and a hundred percent they've done a lot to help support musicians throughout all this. But I mean, it, yeah. it's definitely going to, it's going to require some kind of like rebirth of what we had back then where there was a very, uh, kind of thriving ecosystem of blogs and press outlets and just more opportunities mm. for, for smaller bands like us to, even have a voice yeah well it's it's interesting um that like somehow a centralized system has not created that right like yeah um i'm very grateful to Bandcamp. like i i find Bandcamp really lovely in being able to put completely up agree releases yeah. um for free and then you know they they take a bit each time you sell it. And, and I mean, they're still the best on the oh, internet yeah. in terms of for sure. cut. For sure. Um, but, but I've, you know, and there's various ways that I get my music, you know, it's like, but it's so convoluted. <laughs> um, and yeah. it's like, yeah, I might find something on a, you know, a subreddit for ambient music, or I might find something on Twitter, <laughs> or I might, you know, it might be in my Bandcamp feed and I'm following the tag plunder phonics yeah, or something yeah, exactly. like this you know yep. you know so it's very hit and miss and um and the whole like Bandcamp friday thing is quite interesting <laughs> yeah. and you were posting about this and the con- constant need for creating content and, <laughs> and and it's just it's a funny funny time yeah. to be making music yeah, it, it really um, is but i wanted to come back to like to you and to your music and kind of the reason why I contacted you because of listening to your Mm -hmm. own stuff. And I think I was spurred on by your new, maybe this is not new, but like you've got your Bandcamp subscription now, which is maybe an attempt to, um, to tackle this. Like, so for those who don't know, a Bandcamp subscription has been something that's been in action for maybe five, six years. And and you can subscribe to an artist for a certain amount. If it's a yearly fee or it's a monthly fee or whatever they want. And um, you get uh, a bunch of their releases. Um, uh, in this case, your whole discography, which is incredibly generous. <laughs> yeah. and, and then the artist often releases subscriber-only things 
or little updates. And so I have the Bandcamp app right. and so I'll get your updates um, via that, which is great. And any new releases are just added to my collection, which is fantastic. And and since starting this, you've released two little EPs, which yep. I've really Thank enjoyed. Um, I particularly enjoyed the... Where is it? Um, yeah. A Pane of Window Glass Perforated <laughs> yeah, Completely. Yeah, another... Uh, Another AI-generated title there, so... <laughs> right. <laughs> In case it wasn't obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it wasn't that obvious <laughs> at first because, um, you know, the... Do you remember the trend of long oh, album God, games, yeah. you know, a la Sufjan? Yeah, kind of absolutely. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, okay. Um, but uh, no, I really enjoyed... Um, I've been really enjoying kind of like some of the percussive elements in your music. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to just ask, like, when did the transition from Hotel Neon to Andrew Tassamai <laughs> happen? And obviously they're still running concurrently, but what what was different there? And what are you trying to mm-hmm. do? And Or is this just for fun? Kind of, you know, what's... Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. And I, I think I've talked about this in person with a couple of people, but I definitely, I view music making and writing music in general for me is a lot like what some people do through journaling. Um, it just, it's a very, Mm. it's very much just like a practice of mine. I I don't really view it as like a, um, I don't think I even know what I'm trying to say like 80% of the time when I sit down to start something. Mm. It's just, I just really like making music and I like exploring sounds and I like, um, creating new things, uh, new, um, you know, new noises uh, it's mm. just part of what I do and it feels like something I have to do so I've always written very prolifically um, the way that Hotel Neon works uh, more or less it's me just spitting out uh, loops and ideas and thoughts and feeding that to the other guys and they make it sound decent and make it sound uh, more kind of full fully fleshed out and arranged i mean um, i would defend that saying that both both uh <laughs> artists release stuff it sounds full but i get what you mean yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i uh, i definitely owe a lot to uh to mike and steven for their ability to take a lot of my half-assed ideas and make them mm-hmm. uh you know what they are and when it comes out in a hotel neon product um but I've always written a lot. Like I have many, many gigabytes of unfinished ideas and things like that. Mm. And so I think kind of, the, I guess if there's a differentiator between them, um, naturally by virtue of Hotel Neon being a trio, it's always going to be a very full, deep, uh, kind of thick sound. That's always what we strive to do is to make it like a very um very heavy, uh, full sounding kind of a product. Mm. Um, and what I'm doing when I write is I'm focused much more narrowly on kind of individual sounds and individual, uh, pieces of the product. So stuff that I'm doing is really focused a lot more heavily on kind of just individual textures um it, once i create something i like i'll kind of hone in on that particular element of it whether it's like a you know a bit crushed sample and then latching on to the like the digital artifacts with that it's mm. it's a much more like narrow scope whereas hotel neon is a lot more uh 
big and, and grand in ambition. That's mm. probably the best way I can describe it is mine is, is very much under a microscope. And then um, Hotel Neon is a, it's a much bigger landscape. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense in the, obviously the yep. change in ensemble. Um, I also yep. noticed that like, so um, is the Octatrack and your, your workflow is kind of a newish thing before, yeah. before that, what were you doing? Cause like, so these new pieces, you've talked about them being almost entirely improvised. Um, yep. And before that, were you multi-tracking stuff or was it improvised in a different way? Yeah. So it was a, a little bit of both. Um, there's always some kind of a improvisational element involved. And I think there always has been, mm. um, yeah, I grew up listening to uh, part of my musical journey too that I didn't really touch on was a real deep love of uh, jazz music in mm. particular. So that kind of like a mindset uh, where, you know, you're kind of freewheeling going off the cuff um, yeah. with a little bit of structure, obviously, uh, and direction and, and goals about where you want to, you know, eventually get yeah, to. Yeah. But that that real, it's really fun for me to go into something without... Um, necessarily knowing the whole picture and then kind of exploring things as they come. So that improv element has definitely played a big part in a lot of the music I've written over the years. But yeah, prior to, uh, you know, this pandemic period where I really sat down from like a technological perspective and looked at like, what am I, how am I doing this stuff? Mm. Like, how am I making it? Uh, I was looking at that very closely once you know, we were all stuck at home. It was a good opportunity to do that. But in years past, I've, it's, you know, I, I came from like garage band uh, in the very earliest recordings mm-hmm. for Sound of Rescue. And that first Hotel Neon album was all just garage band. Um, and it was very, very much focused on like a live performance of all of the elements. Um mm. At, at once, you know, everything was done at once. Yeah. Whereas I think what I'm doing now is much more focused on, okay, let's like freewheel a sound here, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on this one piece of it and then we'll work around that. So I don't know what's going to happen with this one particular piece or this one particular sound. Um, I'll kind of make something happen and watch where it goes, but I'm not going to worry about what else surrounds that until... I've played with this first yeah. and then we'll see what happens. Um, okay. So it's definitely like my workflow now is a very sample heavy workflow. Uh, I use a lot, obviously the Octatrack is like the center of it. And to me is just a, a beautiful machine for how it can completely deconstruct sounds and, and reconstruct them into things that you weren't anticipating mm-hmm. at all. I've not found a piece of software that can quite do what it does. Mm. So I keep, I keep it around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I definitely rely on a lot of sampling, resampling, um, kind of reconstructing that initial improvised, uh, element, um, that, that first bit of recording and that first sound that comes out, uh, from the experiment kind of sets the tone for everything else that surrounds it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that totally makes sense. Yeah. the The whole jazz thing is really, I, I totally get that in the, 
you know, it's so exciting to see what might happen. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate to the listeners, I'm going to link this video of Andrew deconstructing his workflow because it's fascinating to see the way you, so even with the piano, like I know Piano Frameworks um, focuses quite on the piano, but I love the way you use piano. Um, And you've told me about Leco by Felt Instruments and a few others, the native instruments. And the way that, it's very. It's not a very complex progression. It might be no. two chords, no. and then with your like fugue MIDI players, it's playing it in different ways, and then right. it's kind of setting up the rules around which it's going to play, and then you get to kind of, I suppose, mix them together and and alter exactly. Things. Well, it's more than just mixing, isn't it? Like, um, because you are, you can also control how like what's played and in and right. things can be inverted and changed and there's elements of random so it's not just like blending in sounds you are also right. still playing and creating different sounds right yeah yeah it, exactly um yeah th- that um that's exactly right like I, no, nothing i do is very it, nothing i do is really complicated at all I, i'm not a great um I'm not a great piano player, definitely, uh, on that topic, but I'm not a great, like, um, virtuoso type of player on any instrument, really. Like, I, I know, I know how to play bass and and I can play guitar and I can play keys, but I'm not really interested in, um, virtuosity at all. Uh, I, I typically am just focused on what's like the, what's the most interesting, texture I can make using this particular instrument Mm. and it doesn't really matter to me a whole lot um about you know what key or or chords we're we're focused on it's it's always about like the just the sound itself yes Uh, yeah and especially on piano um to me piano is Arguably, in my opinion, I, I think it's almost a perfect instrument. I think it has like the perfect blend of hmm. uh, like that percussive nature, that initial attack that you can focus on. But just the, I don't know, I could get lost in the piano just sticking my head in there listening to resonating strings yeah. after hammers hit them. I, I don't know. There's something about that instrument that I, I think, and that's what Tynes was. Yeah. I mean, that's just focused purely on like, the internals of the instrument and everything happening within a Rhodes piano after the hammer strike. Yeah. Um, like all those bits and pieces of sound that kind of meld together. Like that's, that's just a, the most interesting um, element of the entire instrument to me. So I'm always thinking like that, like how is this instrument going to, uh, how is it going to resonate? How is it going to, um, add a unique texture uh to the broader piece yeah yeah and there is yeah. nothing i mean i'm biased but there's nothing wrong with you know simple music and it's no, it's how it's yeah. presented <laughs> which you know and and the texture is an instrument in and of itself and right i yeah i was listening to tines last night i couldn't pick that it was a Rhodes. I knew it was a key 
keyboard instrument. And yep. is this a, a real Rhodes or is this a sample it Rhodes? It is. Um, okay. Yeah, the the listeners won't be able to see this, but I'll turn my camera okay. back on. You can see it uh, right behind me oh, there. Oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah, that, that was a gift from my um, my aunt. Her So my uncle uh, just, he he's retired he entered a phase of life where he's just like i can't keep up with all these instruments i've acquired over the years and Mm -hmm. so he started to um you know give them away so i was extremely fortunate uh Mm -hmm. not making any uh definitely not taking for granted like the you know uh, huge privilege it is to have an instrument like this Mm -hmm. i would not be able to buy it on my own but um yeah it's 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 a super uh important piece to me and i i think it'll always be in my studio and as long as i can have room for it it will be with me for sure yep <laughs> that's great is that why you really enjoy some of mute math stuff for their roads <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a perfect uh perfect segue to the mute math topic because they you know were a huge influence on me and watching paul jump around like a maniac on top of his roads yeah. i mean i would I, I think my first instinct was like what the hell are you doing? You're going to break that, like <laughs> p- that beautiful artifact and it's going to fall apart. But at the same time, like, I think it's a perfect lesson to take away. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't matter that much. Like it's just a piece of equipment and anything we own or anything we have it can make its own sound in its own way. And something mm-hmm. else will always come along that could theoretically replace it. Technology yeah. will advance and, you know, everything here is very impermanent. So, mm. yeah. And it's Sorry something... to get a little met- metaphysical there. No, but... no, 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 no. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> it, it's interesting because last, last night I was trying to do something with my mixer and my fader yep. was not working unless I, like, held it to the right. And so I've got a piece <laughs> yeah. of washi tape holding it. And there's something, like, beautiful, like... You know, yes. And yeah. when I've worked with tapes before, I've been like, oh man, this is so tentative. What if it snaps mid mid performance? And you're like, yeah. but that's kind of the fun. <laughs> it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. yeah there's something, exactly. you know, yeah. perfect about mm-hmm. it. And so, yeah, you, um, we will come back to Piano Frameworks and your music, but you've mentioned that you've seen Mute Math a lot live. And what is it that kind of yeah. grabs you about their music? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I've wondered this too, and I don't know if I have a really great answer for it, but I mean, A, the energy when you see them live. I mean, these are like, and I'm talking about like the old lineup that I really first came to love back when they first started. Um, I mean, just those four guys, um, you could tell that they were all just so dialed in mm-hmm. to what they what they were doing, where they contributed sound in the broader mix. They're just a very tight, dialed-in band. So to see a group operating like that in person is very inspiring, Um, just from like an energy and discipline perspective. Like they're just very good at what they do. Mm. And then the sound itself, um, especially on the the first EP, the first full-length, like those very early records that they did, um, I mean, just like the expansiveness of the sound, mm. uh, they're, they're very like lots of, uh, kind of open symbols and like really, uh, washed out guitars and it just got, it got very big and yet it still felt very tight, um, mm. and driving. 
The uh, snare so was always still small, though, you know, and it was <laughs> yeah. kind of like somehow Darren right. King was able to kind of like go big and small very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the best drummers I've ever seen play the instrument i yeah he's endlessly inspiring to me for you, sure you've reminded me there is a sample pack of his drums that he recorded yeah i should yeah i should look that up again <laughs> yeah i uh, i work with him quite a bit they're uh, they're a lot of fun mm. um it's definitely him playing like it's 100 percent. you know his styling character very like uh kind of overdriven, um, compressed, uh, very ferocious kind of sounds yeah, at certain yeah. points, especially on the snares and all that. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot of fun to work with. I haven't seen them live, but I I really do enjoy that self-titled release and the yeah. EP before Reset. Yeah. Um, but my brothers-in-law have seen them live and can testify ama- how amazing they are like you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I'd love to see yeah. them sometime but i mean yeah has there been a bit of a lineup change with it darren still on drums yeah i think um so i don't i don't know what they're doing these days to be honest with you i don't, I don't even know if there's still like an active band at all i think it's i think it's kind of just paul at this point who um puts out like occasional uh you know uh, b-sides and like old live recordings and all that but i think everyone has kind of moved on at this point i know is um still making music like through sample packs and other bands and i think he and roy are starting a new project soon the the bass player um but yeah yeah it's uh i was really really bummed uh that they i mean, it's a classic you know band story where family needs and personal issues start to take over so i i get it but yeah they were definitely a very influential uh group on on my playing especially as a bass player when i'm listening to your new releases i'm always like i i chatted about music for non-existent films um on an episode with my friend josh and i like so it's really interesting i made the comment that i love that you wrote music for potential films but like I didn't have to watch the film because I I really sometimes for me the soundtrack gives me enough in my mind to kind of see yeah um yeah though there is like for instance last year I really loved everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. and I thought Sunlux did an incredible job with that soundtrack yeah yeah it a, a well-deserved um Grammy nod I, I think he got a Grammy oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, nomination for that soundtrack but Yep. Yeah, yeah. The three of them are just incredible with the way that they can create textures and and like you know Ryan Rafik and Ian. They're just like such a powerhouse of creativity. Yeah. Um, and your music really lends itself to film. Like, have you ever been able to do film or like games or, or like other media integrations? Yeah, so um, it, it's funny because that, that album and like that title, I, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek because I'm not, it, you kind of alluded to it there, but yeah, I don't I don't really listen, I don't really watch movies very intently. Like I'm definitely not a, boo- a movie buff or like, um, mm. like I, I don't, I don't uh, watch a whole lot of film to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and it just, uh, I, I'm much more focused on like the music and everything else happening, like the the vibe and the atmosphere and all that, rather mm-hmm. than like plot and story necessarily. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, experience. But yeah, that that 
album was was a lot of fun. I have not had um, a ton of opportunity to do strictly film-based work. Uh, there were some early projects that we did back when Hotel Neon first came about. Like we wrote um, a custom score for a, uh, it was like a, a Belgian um, brake manufacturer. I don't know, a very random uh, <laughs> kind wow, of corporate, yeah. <laughs> corporate engagement that we had where we were soundtracking this like slow motion car driving around a uh, um, mm. like a test track basically. Um, and writing very atmospheric music for that. Um, and we've done a couple things here and there. Um, we had the opportunity to uh, create a, a custom score for a, a visa ad that ended up never showing um, at the Women's World right. Cup. And we were briefly courted for a, a, a use of our music in a Super Bowl ad that ended up not being aired, not approved uh, by the FCC. <laughs> so there's been like a lot of uh, a lot of like funny um, uh, coincidental things that have come up. But to date, we've had a couple opportunities uh, in the film world. Would like to really explore that some more. I've been paying attention to your Twitters over the past few weeks as I've been doing yeah. research. You also yep. um, do like yoga music or something. You had it linked to like um, exercise and stuff with Hotel Neon. Is that, <laughs> that you've done? <laughs> yeah, I, I, shoot. I can't remember what that was. Uh, I'm blanking on. Um, I can't remember the details, but yeah, that kind um, of made sense to me. Like there's lots of studios uh, who would need that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, st- stuff like that does come up uh, quite a bit. Like we work with... Um, we work with uh, a company called Musicbed. They're basically like a library uh, for filmmakers to license music from. This is, right. goes back to sort of that topic that we were talking about earlier, where there used to be, you know, opportunities for smaller bands to get involved with things like this. I I think yeah. we got in at a very lucky time with them because they've kind of blown up, and I don't think they're really accepting much new music, if at all, uh, to add to their mm. library at this point, unless it's a very targeted, specific kind of sound. But mm. we just kind of shot them a note uh, on a whim like 10 years ago saying, hey, we make ambient music. If you want to put it in your library for licensing use, then feel free. And they took us up on it. So over the years, we've been able to use the um, income from, from that to kind of fund a lot of our touring activity and printing, you know, records and things like that. It, it, it goes a long way. It's, it's by no means at all. Are we you know, rolling in money from this? Let me be clear. Mm. It's not definitely not enough to, uh, you know, quit day jobs or anything. Um, it's mm. barely enough to survive, but I mean, it, it definitely helps like a group like us uh, with, with day jobs and other responsibilities. Like it, it's a nice yeah. secondary income stream that can help fund, sort of the more fun things we like to do, like touring and um, yeah. uh, recording sessions remotely or, um, or a, you know, when we get together to finish records and stuff like that. It's helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yep. It's really interesting and maybe it's a, a funny topic, but like, you know, at current age with the chatbots and, and <laughs> AI and that sort of thing, Yeah. Um, you know, we're at the stage where this kind of music could be generated as well. Oh, 100%. And, yeah. And, well, probably is being generated. Yeah, um, I was going to say and, it already is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's very interesting. I mean, I'm an idealist, and so I go, I, I, I still want to listen to your music and other music. Um, not because I'm like, oh, it's created by a person, so therefore it's superior. Mm-hmm. Um, I like your music in and of itself, and I, I think that it's too black and white to be like, X amount of tech involved, therefore, is not listening to. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. because generative yeah. music, like, when I use Orca, I'm not doing anything. Right. I'm typing in code and getting it to play Ableton. Right. And then I tweak a few parameters. Like, you right. know, the, blend, the, the, the Venn diagram of, like, um, what's me and what's my computer gets very, very... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's not much that's different between... It. Yeah, it's... It's it's a hard line, but like I admire that you are still doing music in this way, but you are also embracing a lot of the tech which is available to you with AUM and and mm-hmm. all these other MIDI applications which are running through things and and Ableton and stuff, and it's just interesting to see what stage of musical evolution we're at. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like you said, this, these are all just tools at the end of the day. They're, there's this stuff could easily be created by a computer and in some cases it already is i mean there's like that app that ios app called bloom that basically generates sound for you Mm. and all you're doing is kind of acting as a guardrail to direct it you know in subtle ways over time but i mean it it's the same conversation i'm sure that was had uh, in past decades as technology evolved, you know, mm. it's up to us to, as humans, direct it in a way that we uh, hope that it can enrich what we're doing. And I, mm. I don't think there's any reason to like be, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions about all this stuff, but I don't think there's any yeah. reason to be that scared of it or uh, intimidated by what it can do. I think it can be just a very powerful supplement to human-made art Um, and Mm. there will be use cases where you know if a company just needs like a 10 second blip of music or whatever uh, for a backing part in a commercial then I mean by all means like Mm. if it makes more sense to use a computer to make that sound then go for it but I think as artists and as creative people we shouldn't run away from this stuff and if anything we should learn about it more so that we can see if it Mm. fills a gap or fills um you know a a missing piece of our own process it's all just technology you to be free uh to create right and right and it leads back to you saying i don't write for an album i write because i you know i love it like right (laughs) it's your way of processing and it's your journaling and like so that doesn't change anything for you it does perhaps for some people who are trying to make a living off this yeah but yeah but it's tricky because like (laughs) your (laughs) like the combining of your passions and your job can be a tricky thing yeah that's why i've been very adamant over the years i don't think i would ever want to get to a point where i'm depending solely on music or creative pursuits to uh, also to be my paycheck. I yeah. I really really like the idea of keeping those things separate. Mm. 
That's just it, my personal opinion, but I, I wouldn't hmm. want to feel pressured to make something because it will help me put dinner on the table that night. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pressure there on your art and we aren't in the stages where like, you know, we can have patron. Well, actually we can have patrons. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> a, that's another, yeah. Another kind of, uh, uh, Pandora's box to open up and oh gosh you know, yeah. and how does that work and 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 yeah this is where I'm a bit too much of an idealist and like art is art you know just enjoy it. yeah um, but, <laughs> the same but way there, trust me yeah but yeah but like yeah I I do try and think of people who you know like mute math or others who are putting yeah bread on the table through this yeah. ways that I can support them in you know and help them to keep their livelihood absolutely um, yeah yeah. But um, for me, just one thing about coming back to uh, media and your music, I, I've heard many a game soundtrack, which I think would benefit from your style. Mm. Like, you know, I'm thinking more of indie titles like um, walking simulators and, um, you know, other kind of yeah. arts based games like stuff that Playdead's done. Like I think of mm. their game Inside. I'm not sure if you've ever played it. Um, I have not. No, I, I've heard of it, yeah. but I have not personally played it. No, it's a great piece, um, and the music reminds. There's parts that remind me of your music, and 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 the ambience. You know, this. It's also very generative, right? Because mm-hmm. there are scene yep. changes and and elements within the piece which change with the music, or the music changes with it, and. And there's a lot of like great music happening in this sphere because of the tech involved and the way that you can even provide stems to um, like a developer and they can use those combinations based upon the code. And so there's like fascinating stuff, particularly, um, I don't know if you know Floex, Thomas Dvorak. Oh yeah, I I know Thomas. I I don't know Floex. Is that a, a different project of his? No, so uh, maybe he only... I didn't know he releases stuff. I thought he just goes, this is my name. My artist's name is Floex. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of so he, uh, I'm thinking of a different... Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check um, it out. I can send you a link um, and you can just be like, oh, yes or no. Um, <laughs> yeah. So his, his stuff uh, is particular... There are elements which I've been like, oh, that reminds me of your music. And... Um, He's a Czech Republican composer and has okay, done yeah, work on it, yeah. some animata design um, uh, games. And he, yeah, he's just done an amazing job with texture, particularly his soundtrack for Summerist 3. He mm. used so many fascinating samples of like, you know, um, vegetables or like little mm-hmm. small things. And he'd sample these and, and then kind of create these beautiful pieces some of them generative some some like just kind of very uh planned and stuff right and so you know i've just seen moments where oh i really think that this track from you know your new release i'm like i can just imagine that being in a game of some yeah kind. i i would love that i mean I, I experiences like that are something i'm not i don't i don't have much um you know, uh, prior experience doing that. So yeah, any, yeah. any new opportunity to stretch the way that I 
think about the presentation of my music is always a welcome opportunity. Mm. Definitely. I would jump all over yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I just hope someone picks you up on it. Cause I'd love to hear a yeah. Andrew Tassemeyer crossover with some indie game that I love. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I see, uh, it's yeah. just on the topic of flow X. I see he's put out some music on Denivali in the past, uh, which is a great label. I love, love everything they release. So I'll check that out. Oh, I don't know Denivali. Yeah, you should take it, take a listen okay. through their, uh, discography it's really great stuff there is some amazing record labels out there um yeah like um so dena vali yep uh d-e-n-o-v-a-l-i they've um it's a pretty pretty extensive discography it's like um greg haynes uh dictaphone uh matt collings Lots of really great artists. Definitely worth mm. investigating further. Very cool. Yep. I've got that up here. I'll check that out. Thank you. Yeah, it's... um, And I've noticed that there's a lot of labels that um, you've released through. And yep. um, I've tried to keep track of... There's there's so many different ones, you know, like... Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Seal Records. Yes, um, yeah which I've checked out a bit of. That was your yesteryear, wasn't it? That's right. Yep. Yeah. They always have that same structure of the album. Yeah. Very defined aesthetic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so many great ambient labels out there. Oh yeah, um, for sure. I I must confess, like I always pick and choose, like I should be, should check out and subscribe more to some of these labels because um, finding the ones that you love. Yeah. Yeah that's um that's the nice thing about Bandcamp. i think is you know once you when you buy from a label and then you're notified mm-hmm. of future releases after that I've, I've yeah i've i've found so much good music just through that process of getting like the notification email that a new album is out yeah. through a particular label and then you can follow their future output too it's it's definitely a great way of filtering and discovering yeah just um i think probably drawing to a close on a couple of things i just Mm -hmm. wanted to talk about your new album because um and also just giving you a chance to kind of chat about um your new studio diary and that sort of thing like Mm -hmm. so what's changed this year like what's um what's the focus of what you're doing with your music yeah it's a great um a great prompt and i'll I'll probably use that word focus as the Mm. launching point i think that's kind of my goal for this year is just to bring a much more uh focused intentionality to all of it i I think what you know over the last couple of years i think everyone has kind of gotten into a new rhythm of life and i think the same has applied for for music as well like there was a you know, with everyone at home and and so much introspection happening, um, a lot of the this is just totally me, uh, in my opinion, and anecdotally speaking. But like I, it feels like a lot of ambient music now is like very drifting in nature, kind of like floating along. And I think that's definitely a, a byproduct of just you know this newfound time at home that we've had and and the need for an escape in that sense. But I think what I'm trying to do with my music in the future is, and you can see pieces of that starting to emerge and life came breaking in, for example, but I really want to be thoughtful, uh, intentional, focused, uh, 
and really bring a new kind of structure and arrangement to the material that I'm making. Um, mm. So, you know, in the past where I might have been a little more predisposed to just kind of happy accidents and, and letting things happen, I, I just want to I want to take that second pass at things um, and, mm. you know, re-examine something that I've recorded. If like I'm not 100 percent happy with it, then I want to get to a point where I'm happy with it and, and think just mm. more broadly about bringing some more uh, bringing more focus and bringing more intentionality to the process and and coming up with something that I I truly you know feel like I had a role in shaping and directing rather than just purely reacting to and responding to other elements um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I guess sort of a long-winded say, long-winded way of saying I just want to be more um, intentional with my music in the future. That's definitely the mm. direction I'm going at this point. And whether that's yeah. incorporating things like uh, drums and rhythmic elements, uh, and actually having a, a tempo <laughs> to follow in the in the doll, <laughs> you know, it's just definitely not the not the norm in ambient music. But I mean, just you know, following uh, following guidelines and being more structured with the way that I'm writing and recording is definitely a goal for me. Yeah, yeah. I imagine you'd still have some improvised elements within that, but there's oh, sure. a guide yeah. and a structure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do you still start with a improvised session as the beginnings of yes. your writing process? Yes, always. Like my, my default Ableton Live template is just four tracks. There's two, two MIDI channels uh, with contact loaded. So I can just, you know, pull up pull up some instruments to work with VSTs and um, sample mm-hmm. libraries and all that. And then uh, the other two are um, uh, like either some kind of emitter, a, a, a MIDI generative um, effect, uh, whether that's like um, bouncy notes, uh, a max for live tool that I like to use or yeah. um, uh, core jam riffer from a, um, company called audio modern uh, just like some kind of a, a way to expand on midi notes and add some some randomness to it uh, yeah. but it's always like a bit of playing around in that initial session so i give myself like one or two instruments to to work with and to play with and then if i happen upon something that i really like then it's go time at that point i'll focus on that sound and yeah. then zoom in a little bit further, resample it, go through all my, my usual um, kind of work to fine tune it more. But definitely it, it always starts in a very improv, um, uh, unexpected discovery kind of a mode. Yeah, that's great. Yep. I've really enjoyed listening to it. And there were certain elements like um, you commented, there's a, there's like a growly bass sort of sound in track five, I think having shed our attachments. Yeah. Um, yep. And that was a bit of a different sound, like a bit of a, you know, we're talking <laughs> yeah. ambient music and then there's like, <laughs> you know, things coming in, which, which is really cool to hear because like, it's just, it's nice hearing, um, you know, all the different textures that you're putting in and, 
and maybe that's like yeah more yeah. of that structure sort of thing like oh this is the baseline kind of thing absolutely being one of your main instruments yeah it, it's funny funny you bring that up because i mean and we were talking about like the post-rock stuff earlier um yeah i mean i definitely when when i was first starting out with like the sound of rescue stuff and we would play shows i mean it was extremely loud and and very heavy <laughs> kind of music and i yeah. i had a you know, in my pedal board, I had two fuzz pedals and a, a rat distortion and all that. And so, like, I'm coming from a past where I was putting a bass guitar through a lot of distortion. Um, yeah. So that was almost like a way of hearkening back to <laughs> that tone where, nice. I, you know, in a past life, I was using fuzzed out bass guitar. But this was a, a fun opportunity to include a very uh, distorted, broken sounding synth bass um, sound it, it was a lot of fun to to make that one yeah that's great yeah no I'm, I'm still working my way through it but i i'm enjoying it so far so if the yeah. listeners are, are looking check that out it's it's quite new um just in the last few weeks yep. uh, that came out and it's really lovely like having your subscription because this mm. is a genre of music that i could just listen to endlessly yeah and yep. you know to know like each month you are making things or revisiting things you know it's it's really lovely like you know <laughs> not to kind of put the pressure on i don't want you to feel that but like it's just <laughs> nice to kind of have yeah. that as no, like, I, I appreciate yeah that. like a practice like it's your practice right and you're sharing that right exactly yeah that's i mean it, it's just kind of a natural extension it makes a lot of sense for someone like me who records almost daily who does record mm. daily, honestly. And, you know, the sheer volume of stuff I have available to work with, it makes a lot of sense to, uh, you know, if there's an outlet for it, like a subscription, then that's perfect mm. for someone like me. Um, yeah, it's been yeah. a lot of fun to do that and um, gotten a, a, a good response from it so far. So I'm, I'm really happy with how it's going and definitely want to, you know, keep it going in the future. Yeah. And you also have your studio diary on SoundCloud. Yes. Um, yep. Which I haven't delved into yet. I'm sorry. Um, oh, but no. I, <laughs> I've been wanting to check out those little clips and, and just check out what you're doing. You're up to February 8th. Nice work. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't. I, I do have the last uh, couple of days. I just haven't had time to actually upload them. But um, yeah, yeah totally. that, that's been really fun to uh, to do that too and, and just kind of document in a audible way like where the year is going as i work on stuff mm. and work on things i'll isolate a track here and there or just you know pick out a, a portion of the loop and just share what's going on it's been a lot of fun i picked that up uh, from taylor dupree over at 12k he did a studio diary last year and i think he's done it a couple times before not not daily like i'm doing but uh, just occasionally offering some glimpses mm. into stuff that he's working on and ideas like that. I really, I really like the idea of, um, offering a, a space for people to listen in like that. Yeah. And it is a lot easier, you know, in terms of hours to simply post the audio rather than having to produce <laughs> yeah, exactly. video and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I'll is... just, I'll just pick out a, a loop I like, or a piece of the session that day and then export it, normalize it and throw it up there. Yeah. It's very, very yeah, yeah. low maintenance. <laughs> And it's very freeing because like, you know, people, I can see that people are listening to this, but you know, 
there's there's no compulsion and it's just i suppose for you yep. it's just this nice like chuck it out there into the wild and i yeah I do hope exactly. that it garners some attention yeah um, <laughs> yeah you know. it, it, it's but, just yeah. yeah it goes back to that th- i mean i i'm not I try not to be overly precious about any of this stuff that we're doing. Like it's all, it's all Mm. impermanent. Um, You know, I I don't, I'm not a big believer in like uh, being overly secretive or safeguarding process. I like Mm. to be very open in that way. That's very generous of you. Thank you. Um, I think like, was there anything else you wanted to kind of, tell people that we that is just about your new stuff or something else before we kind of close sure. up I've, I've, I've really loved chatting with you about this. <laughs> yeah i know i feel um, like we could go another two hours but <laughs> yeah you have yeah. commitments today i think you do too but um, <laughs> was there anything part... else you wanted to kind of mention to listeners yeah definitely we'll, we'll do a, a part two sometime maybe but um yeah sure. <laughs> the, uh, i guess for for this year yeah definitely there's there's more um more to come through the subscription. So I, I would, you know, love for people to check that out and, and jump on board if you haven't. It's been a lot of fun for me and uh, looking forward to putting out some some new EPs through that. Um, I am actively working on a, a couple of different um, solo albums here and there. Uh, so there will probably be like one or two um, more full lengths to come this year. Uh, some collaborations underway. There's a lot happening with my solo stuff, but uh, with Hotel Neon, um, we were talking about it before, but you can expect a, uh, a re-recorded uh, version of the self-titled as a way of celebrating the 10 year anniversary of that. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been sitting on for a very long time. We've really got to get together and push it over the edge. Uh, we've been sitting on a new full length. We haven't put something out um since uh, all his memory back in 2021 so we'll have a new hotel neon album uh, a, a proper one original um uh, very, very exciting soon. yep yeah and um i mean we yeah we haven't even touched on more dan kaji um, oh yeah more than sage and yeah. gray aces um so i'm sure that we can you know it'd be great to to chat again sometime but um I'm going to chuck like a heap of links in the show notes here and, and on yeah, the definitely. playlists. So, <laughs> you know, send anything my way that you want. Um, but I, I guess I wanted to close out by saying thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really, it's been really great chatting. I really love, you know, how much you're willing to share about your processes and about oh, my pleasure. the music yeah. that you make. So yeah. yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, and yeah, I will catch you later, listeners. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Asher. Appreciate it.